0: Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at VineyardCampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message. We're we're really excited to be uh, delving further into the book today. So the basic principle that we're undertaking in this series is you cannot be a spiritually mature person and remain an emotionally immature person. The two are not compatible. Okay, I took a quiz. You know, you can go on the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality website and take a little assessment to see, like, your emotional health level. So I did that. And I'm proud to report that I am an emotional adolescent. So very qualified to be up here today. (laughs) When I got the results, I was like, well, this is wrong. And then I realized, oh, oh, there it is. There it is. There it is. Yeah. Take the quiz. I don't have like the, just Google emotionally healthy spirituality quiz. Take it today see what you got. The fact of the matter is though, we can all benefit from doing this inner work. Can you agree with me on that? Yeah. Even if you get the top level of the quiz, you're emotionally mature adult, good for you. You can still do the work. Uh, One of the community group uh, questions that we had last week, which again, if you haven't joined the community group, you can still do so, uh, was... Something I am learning about myself is, and then you're supposed to share with the group. This was really just kind of a jumping off point for us to get to like start saying things out loud and recognizing things that maybe are stirring inside, but putting them on the outside. So I'm going to share with you my answer to that question. You ready? Something I'm learning about myself is that at the very core of who I am, something that makes me just like tick as a human being is I really crave forward momentum, okay? I'm going to give you a few examples of this. Fall break. We went out of town. We took the kids up to Michigan because we've never been there before, and we explored this little town called Holland, We went to an authentic Dutch windmill. It was very cool. We pack up the car, head back down to our Airbnb, which was, like an hour and a half away. And we're getting the kids out of the car uh, to go out to dinner, and we're doing the whole, like, do you have the diaper bag? Do you have the diaper bag? Where's the diaper bag? Is it in the back? Is it under a blanket? Ari, do you have the diaper bag? Where's the diaper bag? I had left it in the parking lot of the authentic Dutch windmill, 90 miles away. And before I even re- like I realized what had happened while Dusty, my husband, was still searching in the van, I got on my phone, turned off all my credit cards, and made a mental note in my head, well, when we get back, order a new diaper bag, because I was not going back to get it. Even when... A good, upright, standing citizen found it in the parking lot of the authentic Dutch windmill, took it to the Holland Police Department. The Holland Police Department finds my ID in the bag, my driver's license, calls the Campbellsville 911 center, who then calls us. And I hope you understand when you're on vacation and you get a voicemail from Campbellsville 911, you think your house has burned down. You call them and they say, yeah, somebody from Holland, Michigan has your diaper bag. Here's the number. I call the police department and they're like, we have your diaper bag and we'll just hold it here till you get here. And I said, I'm not coming back. (laughs) Now, Dusty's over there like, I can go back and get this. I'm like, no. It's dead to me. I do not go back. I said, mail me the ID, keep the $20 inside, burn the rest. I don't care. And guess what? That's what we did. Because I do not like to lose momentum. I love to read. I never reread the same book. I like watching movies. I do not rewatch movies, with the exception for Christmas movies. Of course, we watch those every year. There's a running joke in our family. I am not exaggerating this either, that probably for the first three or four years of our marriage, I did not make the same thing for dinner twice. Can you attest to that? Yeah, he's shaking his head. It's true. I do not go back okay? I even told my husband, I said, if we are fighting about something, and if I am being particularly unreasonable, ask yourself, is this a question of forward momentum? And if it is, maybe gracefully point it out to me, but also give me some grace to work through it because I am fighting at the very core of who I am to get past that. Does this make sense with anybody? So, Imagine my despair when I open up to chapter 3 in Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and it is titled, Going Back in Order to Go Forward. (laughs) How dare you, Pete? That's what I thought. (sighs) So that's the topic we're going to take on this morning. If you're following along in the book, and I hope you are, we're going to cover chapters 3 and chapter 4 today. Because while we could treat them as separate things altogether, they do inform each other. So that's where we're gonna be today. So I think the first question any of us have when asked to do something that we don't want to do is why, right? And it's okay to ask that. It's also important in this uh, scenario, we could even ask why does God care that we go back and deal with things in our past? Because our goal of true spirituality is to live in the freedom of God now. It starts with revisiting our past because things from our past can and do hold us captive now. So old Pete Scazzaro, he gives us two ingredients uh, to kind of hold you know, in the forefront of our minds as we begin this endeavor, okay? Uh, The first is this, and this is on page 73, in case you're wondering, of the book. The blessings and sins of our families go back two or three generations and profoundly impact who we are today. Anybody agree with that? See that? Take, for example, the stories of the patriarchs in the Old Testament lying, favoritism, broken relationships between siblings and parents. They didn't just happen to one. It's over and over and over again in those stories. More is caught than, you know, the rest of this taught. Yeah. It's really true of our lives. Number two, discipleship requires putting off the sinful patterns Uh, of our families of origin and relearning how to do life God's way in God's family. So each of us, uh, we have families who have imprinted or passed down certain ways of thinking, behaviors, beliefs. I really like in the book, he talked about family scripts, things that you just innately know and say to yourself but the problem is when our family scripts begin contradicting what God says about us and about the world around us. That's where the tension is. So an example from my own family. Anxiety runs very high in my family and I'm not just talking with me, I'm talking with my parents and generations before that. Uh, But God tells us not to be anxious about anything. Do you see the contradiction there? So instead of using anxiety as some sort of, have have you guys ever tried to use anxiety as a coping mechanism? If I just worry about this and think through this thing enough, then I'll be ready for whatever, you know, that kind of deal. Uh, What does God tell us to do? Don't be anxious about anything, but instead pray about everything. That is a family script that I am having to relearn so that I can live life God's way in God's family. This is just an example from my own life. Perhaps it resonates, but I know there is a wide array of examples throughout this room. So last week we talked about respecting our full humanity, right? And a big chunk of that now that we're all of age to be sitting in this room, not leaving to go back to kids' church, uh, is to acknowledge that we have a history. We have a history who's made us who we are, and that history can and should fall under the lordship of Christ. A simpler way of saying it is this. We come into God's family with baggage, and God invites us to partner with him enlightening that load. Okay. So if you hear all that and you think, okay, I'm in. My next question would be, well, how? Okay, we've already asked why. How do we start doing this? You might start doing the math. I am 35, almost 36. And even with that, that's a lot to sift through when you start thinking about it. That's a lot of years to go back and unearth. And I, I am tempted to just become paralyzed by the enormity of that task and not move forward at all. There's two things that I want to highlight. First is that we are in this alone Together. So while the work that needs to be done is yours alone, it is not wise to start journeying into your past, healing from past hurts and traumas by yourself. Does that make sense? Find a trusted friend, find a mentor, get a spiritual director. Start going to a counselor, therapist. All of these things are good and right and appropriate ways to begin. God is not asking us to do this alone. In fact, it's the opposite, okay? Secondly, though, we just need to start taking a long, hard look at our families of origin. By that, I mean the families that you come from. Never easy, right? Right? Would rather not sometimes, but what we need to do, and what I've been asking the Lord to do is to give us eyes to see the truth behind where we came from. There's a lot of different approaches and methods by which we can do this. Uh, The book goes into two specifically. Um, There's the genogram, which is like a family tree, but it also shows uh, intangible things, right? Like different relationships, Uh, addictions, health issues, what have you. Um, And there's also, here's the thing, guys, there's some very smart people in the world who have been studying families before us. You know what I mean? Uh, So there are tons of models that you can start looking at. Uh, We don't have to reinvent the wheel here when we go to start looking at our families of origin. Uh, And also, though, recognize when you're out of your own capacity to sort this out. I don't come from a very traumatic background. Some of you in this room do. And it's okay to acknowledge that and to seek out professional help to begin dealing with that. Like somebody who went to school for and gets paid to help people sort this out. That's what you want, okay? Uh, And if I may, I'd like to add something else that I am learning. Sometimes when I am faced uh, with an overwhelming task such as this, I think it's completely appropriate to break it down into smaller, easier um, to digest pieces. You don't have to take this on all at once, right? If there is something in your family of origin or in your past and you're like, oh yeah, that's that's the one, hey, go ahead and just pursue that and just that. That's okay. If, like me, that thing is a little more deeply hidden, um, a really silly analogy, have you guys ever had a mole in your yard? We have one right now, and I'm real annoyed about it, but you can be walking through your yard, and then what? You don't ever really see the mole, but you can fall right into those tunnels. When uh, one of my kids, I don't remember which one it was, when they were first starting to learn how to walk, we had a mole in our yard that summer, and they would just be, toddling out and just boom, fall into a mole, uh, tunnel. It was really, really sad. Um, look for those tunnels in your own life. Okay. Areas where you feel lack of momentum, where you feel resistance, where you recognize that like you have some stunted growth. I actually had this realization just this week uh, there's something in my life that I've just been having a really hard time finding the momentum uh, to, to sustain. And when I would find just a little bit of momentum, it would be there for a while and it would go away. And it's very frustrating. And I've even been praying and asking the Lord, "What gives? Like, why can't I make this change? Like, why, why in the world?" And I finally realized just last week that I have been uh, stuck. Because what's affecting my present is rooted in my past. And while I've been spinning my wheels to make something happen here in the present, I've completely ignored young Emily. uh, And I haven't revisited her at all. Does this make sense? Yeah. Yeah. that's one thing i really like about this series it's really practical and since this is a lifelong work we don't have to fix everything today okay we can start today but it's going to take time and it's actually a good thing that it takes time So this is all very important, not only because ultimately ultimately this leads to freedom and to um, being emotionally healthy and spiritually healthy, but because at some point, every single person in this room, if you haven't already, is going to hit a wall of some sort. So this is moving into chapter four of the book. If our life with God is a journey or a road trip. Apply what you know of road trips uh, to that journey. There are detours. Oh, there's a bug right there. Uh, Go on, bud. The light's right there. Okay, Uh, there are bugs who come and just interrupt your train of thought. (laughs) Uh, There's detours, there's road construction. Um, Your map app happens to fail in the middle of a trail in a national park and you don't know how to get out. A wall, as described in the book, is a dark night of the soul. Here's what a wall is not. You get a speeding ticket. You burn dinner. Your kid back talks you. Those three things happen all on the same day. That's still not a wall. Okay? In fact, if you're conflating those things with a dark night of the soul... Start there in your journey to emotional uh, health, okay? (laughs) Those are not it. Dark nights of the soul happen when the presence of the Lord, you have felt the Lord before, and the presence of the Lord seems to have evaporated. When you're left with a million questions, and silence is the answer. When you are not seeing much visible fruit in your life, where before you had, when God seems gone. And often these dark nights or these walls have a precipitating event, okay? Insert bad thing here, a diagnosis, a divorce, bankruptcy, uh, the loss of a loved one, you lose your job. Maybe some of those things all happen at the same time. That's a wall. Yeah, and here's what an emotionally unhealthy person does. They use their faith in God as a shield to face those things. Everything happens for a reason, right? It's okay, you can go, ugh. Instead of respecting our full humanity and admitting bewilderment, Admitting that you are hurt, admitting that you are angry or that you are scared or that you are lonely, uh, it's actually a sign of health to acknowledge and voice these emotions in the face of a wall moment. Voicing these emotions does not disconnect you from God at all. And what I want us to understand is the way we react So these wall moments, when they come up in our lives, the ways we carry ourselves in these seasons is not just influenced by the person you are right now, but rather influenced by the person you are as as affected by every single thing that has happened into your life uh, up to this point. And if you have not gone back and done the deep and hard work of healing from past hurts, Trauma, family scripts, what have you. What you're going to be doing is meeting trauma with more trauma. You're literally going to be compounding trauma upon yourself. You're going to be meeting bondage with more bondage. So, okay, I've revealed my age. I'm young, 35. I've had one wall moment in my life, okay? Uh, Pete Scazzaro says that probably in the course of your whole life, you'll have two or three, four, if you're unlucky. Okay. Five, go talk to Adam. Okay. (laughs) Um... What caused my like personal wall moment uh, to be even more painful than it had to be was that I met it with uh, family scripts and generational trauma that were as yet undealt with. And in fact, I didn't even know were are there because I had never gone back and done the work because what's my mantra? I don't go back. Ultimately, it is the Lord who moves us through these walls Our job in those moments is to keep choosing God. To abide in his love. To remain faithful. Sounds easy. But let's think about this. Look at the Israelites in the Old Testament. Wandering the desert, worshiping whatever they thought would give them the best chance of survival right? After having been miraculously delivered from slavery by the Lord. Look at Peter. I'll never leave you. I'll never leave you. I'll never leave you. What does he do? He denies even knowing Jesus. Look at your own self in your own wall moments. Uh, I'm not ashamed to confess this, I've dealt with this, with the Lord, but in my own personal wall moment, as somebody who is able to get up here and talk, I never once prayed that God would heal me. I didn't even think about it. It wasn't like, I don't believe God's gonna heal me. It was not in my brain to do. And yet, how did the Lord meet me in that moment? Do you know what he did? He healed me. He's really kind. And guess what? He loves us. And coming out on the other side of these walls leaves us a transformed person. We are not the same. If you try to come out on the other side of this wall, the same person, it's really just you bouncing against this wall the rest of your life. You cannot come through it without changing we come out with a greater level of brokenness, which is to say, I ain't easily offendable anymore. You know what I mean? Uh, A greater appreciation for holy unknowing or mystery. If you think you know God, you do not know. A deeper ability to wait on God because we've had to do it up against the wall That whole time. A greater detachment for the world. Uh, Living your life with eternity at the forefront of your mind. These are the transformations of people who have come through wall moment. These walls are actually a gift if we can receive them that way. So, Emily, you've not read any Bible verses yet. We're going to do, as we kind of wind down, we're going to do a little character study. We read a little bit of it this morning during worship. We're going to look at the prophet Elijah. And this is actually a word that the Lord has been speaking to me a lot this summer. And I'm, like, so excited that I get to share it with you all today. Um... Yeah, so here's a little bit of backstory. In this story we're about to read, there's a bad king. His name is Ahab. He marries Jezebel. We've all heard of Jezebel, right? She worships a pagan god named Baal. And eventually, everybody starts worshiping the pagan god Baal instead of or right alongside Yahweh, God. So when we drop in on this story, uh, Elijah has been raised up, and uh, as as prophets do, he's been stirring up trouble, okay? And he is now on the run because Jezebel is coming to kill him. That's what she said, I'm going to kill you. He's fleeing for his life after having come off of a huge victory against the prophets of Baal, okay? So let's pick up our story. Can, if you can put First Kings 19, we're starting verse 3. Up on the wall, <laughs> I believe in you. <sighs> okay, I'm going to start reading it while, uh while we find, while we find our way. Here we go. Oh, there it is. Just had this stall for just a moment. All right. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day he sat down under a solitary broom tree. Y'all, I don't know what a broom tree is, but I picture it as him just sitting next to a broom, okay? Which is silly. And prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. I think he's describing a wall moment. Yeah, for sure. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, hey, get up and eat. And he looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank. I like this. Then he lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night, but the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake either. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said again, I picture it as God whispering in, what are you doing here, Elijah? There should be a little more, so I'm going to finish up reading here. He replied again, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty. The people of Israel have broken your covenant. He's laying out his grievances again, right? Torn down your altars, killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And here's God's response go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel, you're welcome, to replace you as my prophet. What was God's response to Elijah to get him through this wall moment? Go back the way you came. Though it was difficult, and as we read, required tending by angels and supernatural food, the response was, go back the way you came to set things right. How have you come to this point in your life? Our family circumstances, childhood experiences, oaths, vows, opportunities, or lack thereof, health, dysfunction, it's all there inside you, right now. And what's more, undealt with trauma, dysfunction, habits, false scripts, false gods will point you to all the places that God is not furthering the perception that he has left you completely and will never allow for you to hear the still small gentle whisper where he is very much found I think what the Lord is calling for us to do in this pursuit of emotional and spiritual health is to go back the way we came. And if he can be everywhere at once, he is in your past as well. And he will meet you there with healing. Going back is difficult and deep work. But I want us to remember today is that healing will be found there as well. Okay. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.